What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the award-winning Fightful.com podcast. I am joined by Showdown Joe live from Japan. We had Matt Riddle live from China. We've had Jimmy Van and Showdown Joe live from Canada. But Showdown Joe live from Japan. What is up, my man? Everything is good, man. Just uh, It's bright and early here at 8.06 a.m. Been up since 4.30. Can't... Uh, I'm starting to get used to the time zone change. The body clock is still uh, fighting it off. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is, man. It's Japan. Good times. Uh, a little crazy last night. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all right. It's all good. Surviving. Earthquakes and stuff. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, that was my first earthquake. That was uh, – I was, I was actually – I got back to the room after a full day of interviews with the Ryzen staff uh, as well as Joe Warren. And, um, you know, Joe and I went to get a bite to eat real quick. And then I said, I got to get back to the room because there was a bunch of stuff that was sent over to me uh, for the interviews for, for today's show that Joe and I weren't able to get because we were flying in. And literally, Sean, I was sitting in my room, copying and pasting, checking out the notes, like what I want to say on the broadcast, what I don't want to say on the broadcast. The next thing you know, the room just starts shaking. The blinds start moving left and right. My lamp starts moving. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. This is an earthquake. And I grabbed my phone and I realized, dude, you're 11 floors up. You, you got no shot. Like... Just you're going to have to wait it out or you're going to be running 11 floors and who knows what could happen. And I was like, man, is this it, Sean? This is how I'm going out. I got so much stuff to do. I got to do a podcast in the morning. I got to prep for it. Like, let's go, man. Forget this earthquake crap. And I just waited it out and I'm like, okay, it's done. All right. Everything's cool. I'm glad to hear everybody's okay. I joked with you off the air that that giant cup of ramen fell over and caused an earthquake. Uh, I'll segue here. Do you think that that ramen maybe has some tainted soup? Because I saw Josh Barnett hanging around with it, and uh, the boy got popped. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, we didn't have a chance to talk to to Josh. He wasn't exactly in the in the happiest mood. Uh, I was over. If you looked at the, the pictures that I posted up on on social media, I was over on the left side. And the way Ryzen has things set up, all the fighters and their coaches and their trainers have their own little tables. Uh, so we didn't have real, uh, real access to them. And then afterwards, I had to run back up. Joe and I had to run back up to do, um, to do the interviews for the rest of the day because that's when they gave us the break. They gave us a break to go to the weigh-ins and then back up to doing the interview. So I didn't have a chance to talk with Josh. But, I mean, let's be honest for a second. I mean, history sometimes just, you know, repeats itself. And, you know, once you're guilty, you've been labeled as being guilty. Um, you know, it's, it, it no longer surprises people as much anymore. Lots more to talk about that situation, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, Josh is a weird dude. He's an unusual dude. I'll say that. Uh, my limited interaction with him. And, you know, my fight team is trained with him like that. So it was a weird situation for me, but ultimately you got to do your damn job. You got to talk about the guy failing a drug test and, it's happened many, many times before. And he has a pro wrestling career ahead of him whenever he chooses. Whenever he just decides to hang him up, he can fight on events like Ryzen and make a lot of money, then go do pro wrestling and make a lot of money. Correct. So uh, I wonder if this new regime may just cut, just cut him. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Uh, and the one thing here at Ryzen, they do do uh, drug tests, but it's the, it's the old way of doing things. Uh, it's, it's the, you know, hey, you, you, don't forget, uh, you're going to get tested right before your fight. 
uh, and don't eat anything or drink anything other than water until after your fight. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, I, I wish they would do things a little bit differently here, but I, I, this is just the way it is in Japan. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, with, with Ryzen, the one thing that they keep telling us, uh, and they're open and they're honest, they're fairly transparent, is they're doing things differently than they did with Pride. Step by step, event by event, you're going to see rules, modifications. You're going to, going to be see changes, especially to weight cuts. Sean, if you miss a freaking, if you miss weight here, you're screwed. You are so screwed that some of the stuff that I'm hearing, you're losing 10% of your purse right off the top. And that goes back to the promotion. If you mm-hmm. miss by a certain amount, you not only start your fight by a yellow card, okay? If you miss by more than a certain amount, you start off your fight with two yellow cards. Your opponent gets 10 to 20% of your purse no matter what. And if you win your fight, it's automatically considered a no contest. Oh. So guess what? What? Make weight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that card. We'll go ahead and start talking about that card. Well, no, wait. There's a couple more news stories. Well, no, we can talk about the Japan card and then get into the news stories because they're UFC related. Darren Crookshank's going to kick off today's show, which we are streaming live at Fightful.com, both shows, so you'll get to hear our boy, Showdown Joe, do some commentary. Live stream, Fightful.com, live coverage with David Tease. Also, our discussion page. Go over there, hang out, talk some trash, criticize Joe's performance, whatever you got to do to make yourself feel happy, guys. Uh, Darren Crookshank, uh, kicking off this show against the 37-14-9 Satoru Kitaoka. Yes, sir. Hot diggity damn. I got it right. Um, He's an OG, not Crookshank. I mean, this is a guy who has fought everybody, like from Kurt Pellegrino to Paul Daly, Carlos Condit. Um, Gosh, Yoshida. He's fought a lot of dudes. Uh, how do you think Crookshank is going to do against this veteran? I think Darren's going to be fine. I think he's also going to be fine. It'll be the, the first, what, <clears throat> three or four minutes, maybe some trouble. Uh, but we all know how Darren fights. Darren doesn't waste any time. Uh, it takes him, what, Sean, 30 seconds, a minute maximum uh, to figure out distance, to throw feints out there, and then really uh, get things going. I can tell you this. Darren's kind of annoyed. He won't show it fully. Uh, but he's really annoyed uh, with his opponent right now because when they ste- when they were done stepping off the scale, he went to shake his hand and, you know, dude brushed him off. And Darren was like, all right, you want to do this with me? Okay. And if, you don't, if people don't know Darren Crickshank, he's missing a few screws. He's missing a few screws upstairs. And uh, he comes across – he's a hilarious dude, but he's, this, this is a dude ready for the Armageddon. This guy's ready uh, for the zombies to start coming out. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised he doesn't have a bunch of guns on him. This guy, he competes in those three gun shows, uh, loves his ammunition, and this guy is ready to rock and roll. And he is, he's not a happy guy right now. We're at the weigh-ins afterwards, and I was just talking to him and his, and his team, and he just looked at me, and he's like, yeah, this guy wants to do this to me? All right, we'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, oh, my God, this is kicking off the show. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So, yeah. Underrated fight on this show is Vadim Nemkov um... – and Vicente. Now, Nimkov had been a highly touted prospect. Then he came over into Ryzen and didn't get those easy matchups. He dropped two fights there. <clears throat> Got back on track at that infamous Emilianenko Maldonado show, but uh, 
I wonder if he can be what Ryzen wants him to be. I think it's not just that, because Ryzen does want him uh, and the whole Fedor team uh, to continue to to sort of raise the bar. Um, <clears throat> Nemkov is is he is the he is one of Fedor's top boys. He's one of Fedor's top guys, and he really wants to see him do well because what, what Fedor is looking for is the next generation of his team uh, and the Russian mixed martial mixed martial artists. Uh, to own Japan, to be uh, those guys. There, there's only really going to be one Fedor. Uh, and, and, and can Nepkov and, and you know, the other guys on the team do it? Yeah, one of them's probably going to be able to do it, but it takes a lot to do it in this type of um, environment. Uh, but the tournament format, the tournament makes champions. The tournament, the winners of these, these Grand Prix tournaments always raise eyebrows. It does so well, uh, even over in North America. Um, and, and Nemkov is, is an alternate, and we all know what happens in these tournaments. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named Daniel Cormier, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. These guys, some way, somehow, get into the tournaments. It's just weird how you know, the MMA gods and the MMA universe puts one of these alternates in a position to win the whole thing. So, yeah, you're right. Keep an eye on this fight here because this could be a an interesting scenario if one of the guys on the main uh, in the main tournament format, can't continue. These guys are got to fight three times, technically speaking, uh, in, in you know just over forty eight hours. So, someone could be too injured today uh, and not be able to compete two days from now. Miata versus Sour. I'm excited for this one. Every every two years, Miata gets dug up to do a New Year's Eve show. Uh, <laughs> he's forty now. Yeah. Um. I know he competed in 2012, and that was towards the end of his active career. He came back in 2014. He's taken another two years off, and now he's fighting Andy Sauer. Now, you make a mistake against Andy Sauer, you're probably going to be sleeping. Or at least you're going to be pieced up, and the ref's going to have to help you out. Uh, What do you think about this fight? Well, the thing that Sauer specifically said, and I'll mention it on the broadcast, he's like, you know, Darren Cruikshank was a great opponent. That was his last one. Uh, but now he's stepping up even higher. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know about that per se, uh, but I think the mentality going into that fight was, was Darren, quote-unquote, was supposed to stand and trade with Andy Sauer. Well, Darren happens to be a smart mixed martial artist, and he's like, yeah, I'll stand with him until he realizes he's in a stand-up fight. I'm going to take the son bitch down. I'm going to choke him out. And that's not what Ryzen probably wanted, right? And the, despite Darren getting the victory, um, I, and I know you and I have talked about this a few times, it's different in Japan, man. They don't want just a victory. They want a show. They want a show. They, they, they don't care if you win or lose. Sometimes that's not even important, despite the fact to us uh, in the North American culture, that is the most important thing, not necessarily in Japan. They want you to put on a show for the fans, and they were expecting, I assume, Darren to stand and bang uh, with Sauer. Well, Darren took that memo uh, and shredded it and said, I'll do what I need to do to win. Uh, and I'm sure that if, if, you know, we were talking about this last night about restructuring some of the contracts, because remember, Japan does things differently than, than what happens yeah. in North America, how promoters do contracts. Uh, and even Joe Warren's eyes were opening up thinking, oh, really? Wait a second. Oh, huh? Huh? That's how you guys, what? Right? So there's things that are probably going to be changing for a lot of fighters. But in this fight here, uh, I'm sure Andy Sauer is, is salivating at the fact that, you know, he may have he might he may have someone in MMA that could be willing to stand and trade with him, especially someone from the Japanese culture. And I'll get into more a little bit later on about why 
in the Japanese culture, they'd probably be more willing to stand and bang uh, than any fighter outside of here uh, because it's a different way here. It's, it's the whole samurai code and the warrior way. So this is one fight that could get ugly, and I could see any sour having his hand raised uh, in like what you mentioned, um, sheer destruction. Also worth mentioning, the Vicente Nimkov fight is a reserve bout for that open weight tourney. So Nimkov could go from one and two in Ryzen to uh, four and two in Ryzen over this weekend. Give, if anything happened, now we've got these four open weight title or open weight fights: uh, Bruto and <laughs> oh god, they uh, the Fedor killer. I'll just refer to him as that. The Fedor killer. Um, let's see. And then we have Alakbari Herring, Moldovsky Bahor. Am I saying that right? Simon Bayor. It's pronounced Bayor. Y. Who are your four picks to move <clears throat> on? And man, I say, I'll say this. Crow Cop and King Mo. Hell of a main event. You know what? <clears throat> I don't know if that's a hell of a main event. I know it could super- be. I'm super excited to call this fight because I think this this matchup can be one of two ways. Absolute amazing destruction, just kick-ass action, or like King Mo will be like, no, this guy ain't coming near me. Nope, nope, nope. And yeah. if he gets too close, I'm holding him down. I am not giving this guy any space. I, I'll, I'll say I don't know if King Mo can hold Krokop down. I think he can. I think he can. I don't think he can. I think Krokop's got underrated takedown defense. And the sheer size of Mirko Krokop in comparison to King Mo. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can. And 35. I mean, King Mo's about to be 36 years old. So a, a time ain't on his side either. But he will use time in this fight. And he will use time oh, yeah. in this tournament. He will take his time. He knows that this is, there's a long road to get uh, to the New Year's Eve show. And Mirko Krokop is his first... Uh, stepping stone per se, or first hurdle. Uh, you cannot sit there and stand and bang with Krokop. But we all know Krokop's got one goal, uh, and it's not to submit King Mo. Uh, so look for him. I think all these guys are going to are technically going to want to play each one of these fights smart, but have them end quick. If that makes any sense, right? Uh, you yes. don't want to go long. You don't want to get injured. You don't want to have to carry any because you're not you're not going to have uh, 48 hours to heal up with as much ice as you want. You got to fight in two days. Uh, so this this fight here is 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 one that I think is going to be either crazy, super fantastic, or like, uh oh, this is King Mo being cerebral. He's playing it smart. Don't hate on him. He's got a fight in two days. Um, the favorite in this tournament uh, is Amir uh, Alakbari, and people are like, who? Yeah, I would suggest taking a look at who Amir is. I would suggest yes. taking a look at the fact that he's a four time world champion uh, in Greco Roman wrestling. Uh, I would take a look at the fact that his last fight uh, against Joao, uh, people were like, ah, you know, he's going to get hurt. Dude, he put this dude in a crucifix, and it was ugly. Uh, Well-versed in the tournament format is this guy. Yes. Yeah, and he is a big dude, uh, quiet, uh, obviously a giant, and I, I'm, I'm, he's bordering on cocky, egotistical, slash extremely confident right now. Uh, could care less that he's fighting Heath Herring, uh, who's, who obviously hasn't competed in a very long time. Uh, and he just doesn't even think. When, when I asked him flat out, I said, Amir, I said, you know you're the favorite in this tournament. Uh, you're like a, a, a minus 120, 150 on some sites. And he just looked at me. He's like, yeah. 
He goes, and I'm going to be a bigger favorite as this tournament moves on and when I'm done this tournament. I was like, okay, so you uh, want to be humble? All right, good. Good. He's, he's ready. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's looks, he looks a little bit smaller. His weight's the same, but he looks a little bit smaller than what he did uh, when he competed in September. That, to me, means he's, he's shredded some of the, the fat, the water weight around him, but kept the muscle. So um, Heath's going to have a very difficult fight. But imagine Heath pulls this off. Be a nice little oh, renaissance yeah. here. Yeah, I, Alec Bari a two, was a two-time world champion, got stripped of one of those. I think it was the Budapest yeah. in, one in 2013. And one was at 96 kilograms, the other at 120. So uh, weight, not a concern for the guy at all. He doesn't care about how what size anybody else is. 29 years old. Y- you got to think. If he wins, if he wins this tournament, oh boy, is he going to have some suitors? Is he going to have oh, some yeah. suitors? Before we get done talking about this portion of the show, I will just say we won't preview the fight, but I am glad Ren Nakai is back in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Oh, when she walked <laughs> onto you. the waves. Thank you, Ryzen. Thank you, Ren. Well, when back she to walked Japan. onto the waves, I was just like, "Oh man, please don't!" I looked at my my uh, my phone. <laughs> After the pictures got posted, I was like, "Well, come on, no. come on now!" Her ramen noodle costume—somebody already wore it, and you can't. It's a rule of fashion, okay? You can't wear the same thing as somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Her uh, her attire had many of the people around me, uh, and I'm like, "Don't, don't." <laughs> You're not fishing me into this conversation. She can wear whatever she wants to wear, bring out whatever whips and masks she wants to wear, and and be scantily clad as much as she wants. No, I, I'm not. You're not getting any other comment than me other than me describing what she's wearing. I'm moving on. It was just what the hell's going on here. We have for the second card, of course, the open weight semifinals and finals, but then we have Crazy Horse versus Kimura in a rematch. Now, when I as soon as we you got back from Japan, I asked you, Joe, was that a work? And you said, nope, it sure wasn't. And they're running it back. So how do you think it plays out? What's that? What was the last part you said? How do you think this one plays out? Uh, I don't think it's going to go as, uh, as many people think it's going to go. Can I just leave it at that? Sure. Sure. I'm just glad to see Crazy Horse back in the fold. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. He's uh are we allowed to say that he's a special guy? Yeah, I'd say so. Why not? Okay. <laughs> On uh maybe the second best run of his career. Winning three or four fights is probably the second best run of his career. Uh, I know he won four straight fights in like 06, 07, and he's had a couple of those win streaks, but another OG. I mean, you got a lot of guys that have been fighting since like 2000 on this show. Um, another said OG, one who's been fighting since 96, Sakurai. Man. Like, I look at this card, and I'm like, they got Sakurai. It's been three years. And before that, he was one of those just guys that's like, you know, I'll fight every New Year's Eve. That's about it. Good to see him back. If uh, if there's any props out there uh, on any of the books 
that will give you money on the biggest ass whooping on this card, um, I would put money on on Sakurai versus Sakata. Uh, oh yeah, Sakata called out uh, Mahawk and said, <clears throat> "In my final fight, I would like to take on uh, Sakurai." We basically and he, he told he told us yesterday that they've been fighting for so long. They've basically been on so many different organizations together, away from each other, competed for, but they've never fought. And there's something that guys like yourself, myself, the, the North American audience, the North American fans don't understand about the mentality of, of uh, fighters here in Japan. And one of the things that they'd like to do here, I, I, I was never aware of this until yesterday, is in their final fight, they want to go out like a warrior. They want to die on their shield. They want to get an ass whooping. And they generally select the one person uh, basically who they want assigned to give them that ass whooping. Uh, Sakata called out uh, Sakurai for this very reason. And as you know, Sakurai hasn't competed in three years. And Sakurai believes it's his duty to do this. It sounds so weird. It sounds like a yeah. movie. It sounds very strange. But Sakurai has a job to do. Uh, and he knows that it, it's, it's, we look at it in a way where it's like, that dude just called me out. I'm gonna kick his ass here. It's like, you, you take the, you take the opportunity with honor. It's uh it's going to be a badge and you go and you do it. And you know, this guy is going to come at you with everything he has. Cause he's, he's willing to die in that cage or in that ring, excuse me. And Sakurai's job is to put an ass whooping on this guy to make sure that when he walks away from the sport, he can, or when Sakata walks away from the sport, he can walk away with his head held high, strictly in defeat. That's not something that we're used to in North America. And, North, and Joe Warren, flat out in the conversations with both guys, says, hell no, in my last fight, I'm looking for a win. I'm looking to whoop that guy's ass and win. Here it's different. In their last fight, they want to take an ass whooping, and an ass whooping so bad that they get a standing ovation from the crowd. Uh, this is like, this, this screams of Ensign Inouye, uh, you know, in, in his fights. So this is potentially what's going to happen. I, I, I would suggest... You know, people not miss this fight specifically because you, if you ever, if you're into ass whoopings, this is probably going to be your fight. You mentioned Joe Warren. Commentary partner? Yeah? Yep. That's a good one. We'll talk about that in a minute. Sakata hasn't fought in 13 years. I know this because I watched him wrestle for about six or seven after that. Um, <laughs> pro wrestling, uh, not amateur wrestling. Interesting, interesting. A couple guys who've been fighting since the old days. The old days. Uh, you talk about the old days. Gabby Garcia's opponent has been around since, I think, the American Civil War. Um, they lost one senior citizen. They found another to replace her. Gabby Garcia is going to win this fight, but if she doesn't, hmm. That would be a catastrophe. What do you make of this matchmaking? It's weird. It's the spectacle and the show of Japan. It's the entertainment value. My only hope in this fight um, is that Gabby doesn't hurt her. Is that Gabby simply, you know, works works her, you know, she wants to work her boxing. She wants to work her Muay Thai that she's now sort of learning and falling in love with. Uh, I hope she doesn't. I hope she gets this fight down on the ground and just simply submits Hata. I mean, we're talking about someone who's 49 years old. Uh, look, if you're older than me, you shouldn't be competing in MMA. Um, I mean, that's just probably not a thing, good my idea. My thing is, it's like, it's like Katya has been, Katya uh, Kavaliva has been calling out Gabby Garcia. And it's like, hey, she's six foot five. She's an accomplished kickboxer. 
but she didn't get that fight, and now she's she looks like she's WWE bound. By the way, um, she's got a tryout in February. I shouldn't say bound. People will go out there and say that she signed. Um, what do you make of them putting that matchup in there instead of a competitive one? Because if if you're you're not going to find any competitive fights, do you think there ever is a desire to find a competitive fight for Gabby Garcia, or do you think she'll be just this this promotional machine? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a Japan tradition. But I thought this was a 100%. good opportunity. The, there there is one opponent that they're they're, they're scouting as we speak uh, to take on Gabby Garcia, uh, probably in the next show. The fabulous Moolah. No, no, this. Uh, this girl is is um, will be should be competition if it's if it's if they can get her, uh, she'll be some serious competition for Gabby. Uh, and it's 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 a work in progress. Let's just say that. But uh, there are people out there that are more than willing to take on Gabby Garcia. Uh, it's just the right deals have to be struck. Uh, we 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 got wind of it uh, uh, not yesterday, the day before. Um, sorry, excuse me, no, yesterday, yeah, yesterday. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens for the next show. First, Gabby's got a. Uh, take care of Hoda first, and we'll see what happens there. She is uh, Gabby is here with Cyborg, and she tried to set up a sparring match with Cyborg because uh, obviously she mm-hmm. got wind when Tito Ortiz did the same thing with me, that <laughs> Big Bear. Uh, okay. So while we were we were interviewing Gabby, Cyborg was sort of lurking around like a shark, just staring at me, and then she got called over to the Japanese press and had to do some interviews, and then came afterwards uh, and said, "Hey Joe, we're training at nine o'clock. Are you interested?" I said, "Yeah, I'll be there at midnight when you're exhausted." Right, and I said no. Even still, right. So uh, I saw Cyborg this morning for breakfast uh, with a bunch of people. Um, you know, she's happy-go-lucky, but unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to speak with her alone uh, to get a bunch of things out of her. Obviously, that you and I would love to discuss on here, uh, but hopefully, uh, you know, she's going to be here uh, over the next two days. So hopefully, I'll, I'll have a chance to, you know, there's there's plenty of places downstairs to have a coffee or just shoot the breeze. So uh, no, I won't be sparring her. I won't be getting uh, anywhere near her with any gloves and a mouth guard. Uh, but I'll try and have a conversation with her and get more information out of her. One of the best matched fights this weekend, I think, is this Kron Gracie-Kawajiri fight. Now, if Gracie pulls off a win here, oh boy, you got to start. I mean, this is this is not like mismatch thing. Kawajiri's lost a couple fights, his last two fights in the UFC. But uh, before that, I think he had won three of his last four and then uh, in the UFC. He had won in Dream. He had won in One. Uh, he had been on quite the hot streak. These were decision losses. All of his UFC losses were decision losses. If Gracie can pull this one off, we're talking about a real prospect. That makes me excited to hear the Gracie name associated with prospect again. You don't hear that a lot these days. Uh, how do you think this one goes? Before I, before I give you my thoughts on this fight here, um, I do challenge anyone and everyone out there to take one more look at this card here. There may be names on here that you don't know about. If you watch the last Ryzen event and you start looking at how these matchups are put together, uh, this has the potential to be the fight card of the year. And mark my words on that. And I'm not saying that because I'm doing play-by-play on it. But when you look at Ursin Yamamoto on this card, taking on Hideo Tokoro, for those that don't know who Rina is, uh, and she's taking on Hannah Tyson, uh, Rina is basically your Ronda Rousey of Japanese MMA. Okay? She is absolute. Uh, she's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's a bombshell. And she's an ass kicker. 
Mark my words, you'll know the name Rina real soon. Uh, Miyu Yamamoto's fighting on this card again. She's taking on Andy Wynn, uh, who's the king of the cage champion. Uh, there's some crazy, crazy fights on this card here. But this Gracie situation, uh, Crone Gracie against Kawajiri. Kawajiri, I've made no bones about it uh, over the history of my mixed martial arts career. Uh, has always been one of my top five favorites ever. Uh, I finally had a chance to meet him. Um, spoke with him at length about his career. Uh, and he, he's under the same assessment as, as myself, uh, Heath Herring, uh, same assessment as, as Joe Warren. Crone Gracie is the evolution of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Crone Gracie is what any of, any of the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu followers have always wanted. An aggressive Jiu-Jitsu fighter who's, got, who's more than happy to stand and bang and use a very aggressive grappling and submission skill set uh, the way we all thought Hoist did back in the day, the way we thought Hensel Gracie and Health Gracie did back in the day. This is the modern Gracie right now, uh, and a, he's a different Gracie than you may think of when you think about Henzo and, and Hoist uh, and all the others. This is a long-lost Diaz brother, okay? He, he lives and breathes and trains with Nick and Nate Diaz and Jake Shields and Gilbert Melendez. This is a modern-day, uh, I'm not going to say thug, but a crazy mofo. This guy here is no joke, and he's willing to die in there. He is the son of Hicks and Gracie, but this guy is a bad, bad mother beep, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, this is and this is the co-main event, and he, he, this guy pulls no punches. Kawajiri knows what's up, believe me, and Kawajiri is going to do whatever he can uh, to thwart any sort of momentum, although, you know, Kron's momentum has been, you know, it's not, a, it's not crazy, it's not hectic, but he knows what that a loss to Crone Gracie will elevate Crone uh, big time in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, and like I said, this is the co-main event. Uh, we have the semifinals on this card. We have the finals of the Openweight Grand Prix. We got some badass. I mean, Ursin Yamamoto and Takoro. That right there, it, that that could headline a lot of cards here in Japan. Uh, and there's one kid uh, that I was, you know, made privy to. Uh, I can't even remember, pronounce his name properly. I'll tell you right now, Sean, you're going to love this guy. Tenshin Nasukawa. Okay? Tenshin Nasukawa is fighting today. He's taken on Nikita Sapun. Uh, Tenshin, I think, is 19 years old. He won the Lupini tournament in Thailand. This is a Muay Thai murderer at 19 years old. Still in high school. Still lives with his parents. When they announced his fight, (laughs) his high school basically was like freaking out. This kid potentially is the future uh, here at Ryzen. And I can tell you one thing about Ryzen. People know that it's, it's you know, Pride Revisited, Pride Version 2. Based on my understanding, uh, 2017 is going to be a potentially badass year for Ryzen. So I'm just throwing it out there. As mentioned, we are streaming both cards live on Fightful.com. Go to our live coverage and discussion to see that. Very excited for that. We've got a little bit of UFC news before we talk UFC 207. We previewed the card last week as well, but we're going to jump into it again this week. A fight that won't be happening. Cain Velazquez, Fabricio Verdum. Now, Joe, imagine being booked to fight inside a cage and going on a media tour where you tell everyone that you have a back surgery scheduled and that you've been smoking weed to dull the pain. I wouldn't expect to be on that fight card much longer. Would you, Joe? Well, for those that watch the Fightful.com podcast on a regular basis with you and I, you, you've, you're the one that came out 
and opened up the world's eyes and ears to this situation because I was, I kind of brushed it off. I'm like, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you do that, Kane? And yada, yada, yada. You came out and said, this guy's not fighting. Joe, this guy's not fighting. No and I was like, Sean, yeah, you never know. You'll just, you know, it's, he'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. You were right from the very beginning. You were 100% right. This dude is not going to fight. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, there you have it. And it sucks because Kane Velasquez's career, uh, the, the vast majority of that window that he could be, uh, you know, let's be honest, he could have gone down as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Okay, he took out uh, Brock Lesnar, uh, was on this run, uh, just the, the Junior De Santos fights, uh, and then he gets messed up, and then he gets injured, and then he gets messed up, and then he gets injured and injured and injured and injured. And before you know it, he's going to be just simply broken down, too old to compete, especially in a division uh, with such, you know, where there's, there's not that much talent like every other division. This guy could have gone down as one of the greatest of all time. And unfortunately, I don't think he ever will just because of this, these injuries. And it sucks because. No one deserves to be injured that much, but the reality is he keeps getting injured. So something has to be done with Cain Velasquez. And it's not just, not just back surgery, Sean. A lot has to be done. And take a look at this guy. And like, dude, you need to get to 100% before you start training again. He's withdrawn from three fights since 2014. He has fought seven times in six years. Uh, he had Before that streak, he had fought seven times in two and a half years. Fabricio Verdum was offered Junior Dos Santos, and Dos Santos said, well, he turned down the fight. As it turns out, he accepted the fight but tried to modify the terms. He wanted more money, and he wanted an immediate title shot if he got that win. The more money, sure. A little bit of more money, yeah, I see that. Different kind of fighter. Immediate title shot, that's trying to hold the company hostage. I don't blame for the, the UFC for not doing this. Then again, would you have been surprised? I said, yeah, he gets an immediate title shot. Then afterwards, nah, not going to happen. Sure. Give him an interim title shot. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's a report that UFC 207 will be Mike Goldberg's final event as a UFC commentator. Uh, Dana White told Sportsnet prior to UFC 206 that he was looking to assemble his dream team of commentating. And... uh implied that Joe Rogan was a member of this dream team of commentating. Now Goldberg, if nothing else, incredibly loyal. He passed up a six-figure payday to not show up at a UFC event in 2005 by the WWE. I would imagine WWE's probably still interested in him. Um, I don't know what that would mean for some of the guys they have. He's 52 years old. Um, WWE has, Hey, they, they got Mauro Ronaldo recently. So I don't think anything's out of the question. I, I, I want to speculate on who will replace him, but I have no clue. I don't have any damn idea. Um, are you surprised by this move? It's been rumored for a while. Uh, no, I'm not surprised by this move at all. Um, the problem is, is the fact that it that came from Sportsnet. people automatically link it to me or associate me. Uh, and I can assure you, uh, I have not been contacted by the UFC. Uh, remember, this is an organization that wouldn't even credential me for their, their show in my own backyard. But I do do play-by-play for, for one of their properties on UFC Fight Pass. Yes. Uh, that does not mean... Uh, but I we're the running. award-winning Fightful.com now. Come on. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, you know, I am hearing Jim Rohn. Um, uh, Jim Rohn, excuse me. But... Um, 
I, I mean, can I say I've seen this coming from a, for a long time? I definitely have. Uh, I think there, there was a change coming. And, of course, when you have the new owners coming in, uh, there's going to be some changes. There just always is going to be changes. And it starts at every single part. Uh, of, oh, sorry, it doesn't start. It, it, it will affect every single part of the company. Uh, and, and this is just another example here. So uh, am I surprised that that goalie potentially is going to be gone? This is his last show. Not at all uh, in terms of replacements. Who knows? Uh, and nothing will surprise me anymore with the UFC. It is what it is, and it's, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. Um, you know, I want to wish Goldie the best of luck because uh, he was pretty cool to me. We did a couple features on him before uh, when we had UFC Central. But um, to all those asking, nope, I have not been approached by the UFC. And nope, I will not be approached by the UFC. You can guarantee that uh, 100%. Chael Sonnen dropped the little nugget that it might be Jim Rome, as you mentioned. Uh, Sonnen, usually when he feels comfortable enough to drop that information, Joe, usually right. Bingo. So, uh, I mean, he is a journalist. He, Chael Sonnen is a journalist. He breaks news. He has a show. He works for ESPN and commentary. I, and, you know, it's when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Crazy, crazy to say, Chael Sonnen, the guy who used to lie through his teeth to sell pay-per-views, is a pretty damn reliable journalist. UFC 207, we don't know. I think Joe will be at the arena in Japan when we do this post-show, but we will be doing a post-show right after the event. Might just be me, might have a guest. Don't know how that'll work yet, but uh, we will have a post-show right after, and then we'll talk to Joe about it when he gets home. Alex Oliveira, Tim Means kicks off this show, and this is a hell of a way to kick off a show. You think? <laughs> this Man. is going to be ugly. The Dirty Bird against the Cowboy? This is, uh, there's going to be some shins flying in this fight. Can we say that? Yeah. Also, oh, wait. Before we jump into this show, did you see the ratings that UFC 206 popped on Fox the other night? Uh, no, I did not. Oh my gosh. Like the third highest ratings that they've ever done ever on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve showcase of of UFC 206 outdid everything on TV. It was the highest rated thing. It beat It's a Wonderful Life. That's impossible because that Toronto show sucked. Nobody was supposed to watch that show. It was the worst card (laughs) in UFC history. Boycott. The worst card in UFC history. Fantastic and numbers. Cue the broken record. How many times have we heard that about UFC shows and other mixed martial arts events? It sucks and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. Okay, don't go. Don't watch. Don't show up. I'll be there, and I'm going to enjoy every freaking minute of it. Thanks for calling. Drive home safely. We have seen shows, UFC 206, on Christmas Eve, a replay, do awesome numbers. We saw Van Zant Watterson, a couple of people that a lot didn't expect to draw big ratings, and it just got bigger for that main event, drew big ratings. Valentina Shevchenko versus Holly Holm drew big numbers. That's real good news. That's real good news for the UFC, who 
for the first half of this year had been a real pay-per-view commodity and not a television commodity. And as they get closer to that renegotiation period, they are becoming a very, very hot television commodity. So, and uh, you know, WME IMG has to be happier than a pig in shit, Joe, over that with all the money they put into this. You're, you're absolutely bang on. And just real quick, if I could just take a little sidebar here, Sean. Um, do you remember, uh, uh, was it Christy, the, the boxer, Christy Martin, is that her name? The coal yeah. miner's daughter? Uh-huh. Uh, Layla Ali? Mm-hmm. Uh, who else did w- women have in boxing back in the day that were, quote unquote, pretty big? Castro. Castro was a kickboxer. But these were all, well, yeah, but these were all women that fought on pay-per-view cards. Am I correct? They never fought on free television? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just goes to show you these ladies with Paige and Michelle uh, and Valentina and Holly, uh, Rhonda, people have always some way, somehow truly appreciated whether they consider it a sport or a spectacle. They, or spectacle, they will watch women compete in combat sports. And I think it's smart that the UFC uh, has taken massive advantage of this, something boxing <laughs> wasn't able to do and had every opportunity to do so for the longest time and they couldn't do it and look at the look at UFC and what they're doing right now look at what they're doing here in Japan right now the the, the that's the one thing about Rina that I was mentioning before Sean is is Japanese mixed martial arts women sorry uh, women's Japanese mixed martial arts is still nowhere near what it is in North America the girls and the ladies and the and the promotions here are trying very very hard to do what the UFC and what other promotions have done in North America, making it mainstream. There's a cultural shift they're trying to do here in Japan. Uh, and Rina, who is the poster child, in my opinion, um, is going to be at the forefront of this. Mark my words, you're, you're, we're talking about uh, a big, big paradigm shift here in Japan, hopefully very, very soon. And you're going to see the same thing that the UFC is doing right now in North America with these ladies. It's going to happen here in Japan as well. But you've got to give kudos to, to the UFC, Dana White, uh, and the previous Zufa regime for doing what they did, for finally believing um, you know, this can go back to Scott Coker uh, with Misha Tate versus Ronda Rousey and the building of Gina Carano. Um, so there's a lot of things that that mixed martial arts promoters knew uh, and tried and did correctly that the UFC is, is obviously doing even better now and benefiting from that boxing just simply couldn't do. Fantastic points there. Back to UFC 207. We got that banger. Tim Means, Alex Oliveira kicking off the Fight Pass show. I wish that would have been put on the main card over Smoka and Ray Borg. Like, Smoka and Ray Borg Your is boy. the type of fight you put on. Your boy, Ray Borg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Smoke is probably winning that fight. We won't talk a lot about that. Uh, Oliveira means, though, that's a... If you got a fight that falls out like Velazquez Verdum, Oliveira means is the type of fight you want to slide into that spot because they're going to leave Hendricks Magny where it is for the Fox Sports 1 stuff. You're not going to see a lot of FS1 main events get moved up because there's already programming material and promotional material out for that. Now, <laughs> that fight's going to be great. We got a couple of fights that are going to be interesting to watch, in particular on FS1, because if Mike Pyle or Brandon Thatch lose, that might be it for them. This is a real gift for Brandon Thatch because four straight losses, you're gone. You're gone. You're done, especially in this cost-cutting regime. Um, Mike Pyle, he's facing uh, Alex Garcia. Alex Garcia has been as inconsistent as Mike Pyle has been as well. Mike Pyle, another one of the the fabled 
fabled MMA fighters of history with Kimbo, six months of sprawl, sprawl training, C-level cane, motivated BJ Penn, Brock Lesnar without a surgically removed butthole. Uh, Jim Mike Pyle is considered a legend in the sport. <laughs> the cage Mike Pyle is considered a really solid guy. Have we officially made this eight-man bracket yet? Like I said, I got the C-level cane, motivated BJ Penn, Brock Lesnar with, without surgically removed butthole, Jim, uh, Mike Pyle, Kimbo, six months of sprawl training. I got five. I got Vitor. five. Vitor. TRT Vitor. We're at six. Add it, adding him to the list. Okay, we need two more. We'll figure it out. All right. Uh, yeah, this, this – um, I think you made a good point about the Garcia being inconsistent. I think you're bang on with that. So uh, th- this is going to have to be a wake-up call for a lot of fighters. I mean, I know I said it last time. I can't believe I'm talking about Brandon Thatch in a manner that, you know, he, it's like he hasn't even really had a career in the UFC, right? It's just like it's just been you made it to the big show and, you know, you, unfortunately you're just not able to cut it or was it bad matchmaking where you're where you thrown in, you know, to the wolves too quickly. I don't know what it is. I just never thought – I'd be talking about Brandon Thatch in this manner. But, yeah, it is a must-win uh, for Thatch. I think it's a must-win for Pyle. It's a must-win for Garcia. Uh, yeah, this, there, there could be some drastic changes coming up after the show. We have the young Italian Marvin Vittori taking on old shoe face. Now, shoe face <laughs> uh, won that tough Brazil tournament. Uh, he spared pretty well. Since tough, let's see, one, two, I think he's had nine fights, including tough, and he's only lost two of them. Now, you never know where the dude's going to fight is the thing. Middleweight, heavyweight, everywhere in between. But if Vittori, who is, I think he's 11 and 2, 23 years old, won six straight, this would be a hell of a way to uh, to put yourself on the map in the UFC. He got that win at UFC 202. Good card to start yourself off on. This one's another nice one to be on. So you got a guy that's got a few more eyeballs on him than would usually be on him with the benefit of McGregor and Rousey. Um, this is a little underrated fight. This is a peek into the future, Joe. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, and and have, I, have I ever been accused of being biased towards Canadians? Maybe. Italians. I listen, that's my bloodline. You know, I'm a first-generation Canadian. I come from the Italian, uh, I got an Italian background, and I, I, Vittori is a bad dude. I, I like what he's doing. I, if I had a say, I would change a few things with what he does outside of the cage. But in the cage right now, I think he's developing very, very well. Uh, I think he's got a bright future, and like you said, we're getting a glimpse into a glimpse of it into it. Um, you know, on this card here, there'll be a lot of eyeballs on him. Uh, I don't know that the UFC, quote unquote, and I know Dana would be the first person to say this, and so would probably with Joe Silva. Although I disagree more with Joe Silva and or um, with Sean uh, that they're doing this strategically with him. Uh, it could just be the perfect storm beginning to brew. You know, catching lightning in a bottle with this kid because uh, it's taking time. Uh, he just happens to be on these cards where a lot of eyeballs are on. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think he does emerge victorious. I don't think it'll be easy, uh, but I think he does walk away with his hand raised. By the way, Dana White has confirmed UFC 207 is Goldberg's last event. Uh, he said that he doesn't know who's going to replace Goldberg, but we'll know by July if everything goes my way. We're still on the running, Joe. 
Yeah, we're nope, not. Nope, we're not nope. in any way. Uh, no. <laughs> Johnny Hendricks, Neil Magny. I like this fight for a couple of reasons. Uh, Magny is just underrated. That guy to lose two fights like he did uh, against Moraes and Bazinski, and then go on the absolute tear that he did. What was it? Oh, 10 of 11 fights. And he lost to Lorenz Larkin, who hasn't been re-signed yet. This is such a good, good matchup. Because for Johnny Hendricks, this is a guy, if you beat him, you can still hang. You can still hang at the top of the welterweight division. Uh, and if you're Neil Magny, it means that you belong near the top of the welterweight division. Really good matchmaking, in my opinion, Joe. Uh, I think it's it's interesting matchmaking because, you know, the fact of the matter is is Neil is fighting a guy with a name, right? He's fighting a guy who's a former welterweight champion in the division. Uh, and, and going back to, you know, the stories that I spoke about when George St. Pierre fought uh, Johnny Hendricks and how you know there, there were concerns about Johnny Hendricks uh, and George bringing in Vada and how that backfired into George's face because the UFC and the media uh, spun it completely differently than what George and his camp were trying to do. Um, ever since you know Usada came in, uh, I, I'm not accusing Johnny of anything. I'm just kind of looking at George and, and everyone going, wait, wait, maybe you guys did I miss something here? Maybe you guys are right. But ever since Usada came in, we've noticed Johnny Hendricks is career sort of dropping down um you know he went from welterweight champion uh to now fighting on the fox prelims or, or fighting on the fox as the, as the main event in the fox prelims uh he's fighting neil magny this is a guy that was once the champion of the world quote unquote beating george st pierre when he you know it'll be a loss on his record then having those wars with robbie lawler uh and then you know all of a sudden dropping down um the pressure's on johnny Hendricks in this fight if there's a guy who can't lose I know we talked about Thatch and Pyle and Garcia, but if there's a guy who cannot lose on this card here, it is Johnny Hendricks. And I think Neil Magny is going to push that pace and really punish Johnny. And don't be surprised if he finishes off Johnny late in this fight. We move on to the main card, and uh, quite a main card it is. Uh, any predictions in the Smoka Borg fight before we move on? Uh, what is Smoka's karma like right now? I don't. I haven't heard of him doing anything. <laughs> I don't. I think he's fine. I think Smolko wins this fight. I think he learned from that last fight. Just you know, I call it the Mick Diaz thing. Just, just, just don't don't talk. Just go out and fight. Don't don't ruin your karma. So I think he'll be fine. This is a, a rather important fight in that flyweight division. Who can use all the contenders they can they can get? To be honest, so. Tarek Safadine, Dong Hyun Kim moved up to the UFC 207 main card. Joe, who you got here? Oh, man, Tarek Safadine has never been able to replicate what he did in Strike Force. Yeah, right? I mean, you and I can talk to her blue in the face about Tarek Safadine, right? You just don't know. You just don't know which one shows up because every time you think he's done or he's, yeah, that's it, you know what, he's reached his peak. He pulls off this Muay Thai expedition and this striking and this beautiful combinations and landing these liver shots. And, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, there he is. Finally, he's back. And then in the next fight, you're like, yeah, he's going to smash through whoever he fights. And, oh, yeah. And then, oh, wow, what just happened there? Right? So I don't know. Like, I, I mean, 
this is that one. These are, there's always a couple of fights on each card where I, I, I break it down. I look at the numbers. Paper doesn't fight paper, Sean. And I'm like, you know what, ref? Just signal them to fight. Let's just let, let them figure it out because it's just too hard. Um, I, I'd like to take a look at the lines on this fight, to be honest with you. I didn't have a chance to look at it just yet. Uh, but it's, it's, mm, it, it, to me, it feels like a pick em fight. I could be wrong, but it feels like these lines are at minus 110, minus 120 for one guy. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look just yet, but Dong Hyun Kim minus one thirty three, Safadine plus one hundred eight. So it's very close. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying? It's uh, it just feels like it's it could go either way. Uh, and I guess they're favoring uh, Dong Hyun Kim. Okay, I got it. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give the slight edge to him. I think that 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 does make sense. We just don't know about Safadine. He's not. It's not that he's inconsistent. It's just that we you, you genuinely don't know. You sincerely don't know what to expect now. He has only fought four times in about the last three or four years. He never fights. Uh, since January 12, 2013, he has fought four times. Rough. Rough. We have uh, – oh, boy. We get into the fun stuff here. Now, this is – last week I said TJ Dillashaw versus uh, John Lineker was less good – Dominic Cruz versus better Cody Garbrandt. Arguably one of the greatest assessments before a fight ever. Yes, go on, continue. I can't wait for this fight. <laughs> like, you see this smile. This is a legitimate smile of excitement on my face. Dillashaw at minus 250. Um, Lineker at 190, plus 195. Actually, actually, now those lines have moved. Uh Lineker a plus one eighty five, Dillashaw a minus one thirty five, or oh. minus two thirty five, minus oh. two thirty five. Sorry. Holy oh, shit! Sorry. That was that would have been a massive, massive change right there. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the lines are getting closer. Okay, that that makes more sense. So the money's starting to come in um, on Lineker, which which kind of makes sense. I wonder if that's um, where that money is coming from. It's, is it the, the probably not the hardcore fan because the hardcore better will probably do the, the initial bets and then um, the newer fan getting closer to the show is probably putting on some money against Lineker looking for that knockout. Uh, so there could be some overhype heading on to Lineker. There's a lot of mathematics that go into that. Uh, I love your assessment, man. I really love the way it's, it's, it's surface level, which is sometimes is fun, but I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, I, 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 this is a good fight, not just because of the two names, but from a, these are, this is that fight, Sean, where, you know, if you ever have, if you, you and I ever have a chance to sit down together and watch an event and we look at big names competing or names that we both like, this is the fight you'll be elbowing me or smacking me in the back of the bald head and be like, hey, stupid, breathe, breathe. It's okay, relax. Because <laughs> these are those fights that I sit there and I just like, you just like, I remember Dominic Cruz and, and um, Uriah Faber one time when they fought and I, I, didn't, I don't think I, I took a breath that whole first round. It was just so much going on, and this is the type of fight that is so intriguing. The way it's broken down, the way these two styles match up, you know, can can the 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 the, the Dwayne Ludwig sort of perfect student that that um, Dillashaw is counteract the power? Can you know what, what is what is Lineker going to do when he realizes that you know Dillashaw is nowhere to be hit? He's nowhere to be found, and and Dillashaw is going to be coming in, pop, 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 pop always, and you know, ending with a low kick or a body kick, and 
throwing five punch combinations or is that what Lineker wants? Yeah, I'll take two or three of your punches to land one big one uh, and win every, every exchange as I sit there and I chop down the tree. So this is going to be a crazy fight. How long till it takes for Lineker to get pissed off because Dillashaw is nowhere to be found, right? There's a lot of unknowns here because we saw what happened when Lineker fought a guy who had advanced footwork in John Dodson. It was a little bit tougher for him. He couldn't finish John Dodson. Uh, John Dodson has much better footwork than a Michael McDonald has. TJ Dillashaw, when has he ever fought a power puncher like John Lineker, much less since he transformed himself? You might as well throw out everything that happened with TJ Dillashaw before 2013 because he's a different fighter now, completely different. I mean, really, it's like the closest that he ever came to fighting that, in my estimation, is Mike Easton. And by then, Mike Easton's skills had just nose, had taken a nosedive. So that, that uh, it's, it's the element of unknown in two guys. If Lineker wins, he's getting a title shot. If Dillashaw wins, he might get a title shot. It's going to be real close. So that element of unknown is something uh, pretty special. Very similar to our co-main event, Dominic Cruz versus Cody Garbrandt. Now, the shit talk game, Dominic <laughs> Cruz won it. He won it. Um, I want to ask you how you feel about this Ronda Rousey media blackout. Because my, my thing is, I feel bad because it affects Dominic Cruz. And it affects Cody Garbrandt. It affects those two people a lot. No Wednesday press conference today. Uh, Dana White did do a media scrum, which we will have coverage of on Fightful.com, the place where you can go for all of your live coverage. And we got some cool forums, too. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave us a thumbs up. But uh, no open workouts. That hurts. That It hurts sites like us, Joe, who don't have Ronda Rousey and Dominic Cruz for photo shoots all year. So, you know, maybe we send a photographer there to get some shots for the site. What do, what do you think of this media blackout? Uh, I'm looking at the Jeopardy categories right now. I will go with what is horseshit for 500, Sean. It is. It is. It's just complete. I hate it. I don't, I don't like it. Answer. Before UFC 207, <laughs> this once prominent fighter talked to absolutely fucking nobody. It's garbage, man. It is complete garbage. And I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care what, 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 what's going on with Ronda Rousey and, and everything. I just, no, it's not cool. It's not cool. You know, it's, I don't know. You, you can say what you want, Ronda, about, you know, it, you built this up. There were a lot of promos heading into this and did daytime television, blah, blah. I don't care. Listen, man, there are, there are a lot of mainstream outlets that are covering this, uh, covering these fights, sending a lot of their media over there. You know how hard it is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when, you know, I, I recall vividly at Sportsnet when, you know, we would go to certain things and, you know, your Matt Hughes wouldn't be available uh, when he's fighting Matt Sarah. And the call I would get from the network is, that's nice. Go get him. Yeah. That's nice. You have up until X amount of time to get it on the 6 o'clock news. Go find him. Now, my job becomes 100 times harder because i got to start talking to Matt's people and blah, blah, or this person or that person and blah, 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 blah. It's just stupid. Like I'm, we're, we're sending people down to cover the event, to cover a big pay-per-view show. Like, come out and just say no comment or come out and say, look, man, I don't have much to say. I'm really focused on my fight, blah, blah. That is a lot better than speculation. 
just come out and say, look, man, it's, I appreciate all the media coming out here. Uh, I'd rather not answer a lot of questions. I want to come out here and say hi to everyone. Uh, I just, I need to focus on getting my title back. I need to focus on whatever. Just come out for 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, head back to your room, go back to whatever you want to do. You don't have to answer any other questions. Just make a statement. Done. Dana and then White people, said at the scrum and then people that, will run will run with that. Yeah, Dana White said at the scrum that it won't affect other people, and it's definitely not ideal. But um, he said there are a lot of things that suck about this, but we're in a pretty crazy position. But she's one of the greatest ever to do it, and she's done a lot for the company and the sport. That being said, Cruz, Garbrandt, Cruz, a minus 225 favorite. Garbrandt plus 175. What do you think? Maybe too soon for Garbrandt? Yeah, I think so. I think it's too soon. We, we've seen crazier things happen in MMA, Sean. You and I both yeah, know that. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think that it, it's a little too soon for Cody. Um, I always find it strategic when a champion calls out a contender, not the other way around, because every contender wants a shot at the title. But when a champion comes out and says – yeah, this Cody Garbrandt kid and blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, wait a second, dude. Are you picking an easy fight? <laughs> Which is okay because you're the champion and you can pick out whoever you want. It is called prize fighting and there is a science uh, and very there's a very strategic manner uh, to prize fighting, a.k.a. Roy Jones Jr. I mean, you can, you know, or Floyd Mayweather, right? Like, I mean, there, prize fighting, there's a science to it. And the whole thing about prize fighting, and it goes back to one of my original instructors, uh, uh, a very brilliant man named Shaw Franco would always say, he goes, look, man, if we're going to be, our, whenever our guys become champions, if we can get an easier fight versus a contender and get the same money, why not? Right? So you look at Dominic Cruz calling out, because it wasn't, it wasn't Cody that called out Dominic Cruz. It was vice versa. Right? So I'm always kind of like, you, hmm. You see that with Woodley calling out Nick Diaz instead of fighting Stephen Thompson or Donald Cerrone or Damian Maya or anybody like that too. Yeah, let's take the guy that hasn't won in five years. I, but I also think with Tyron, that's a that's a, a financial decision sure. more than a competitor decision, right? I think, I mean, come on, Nick Diaz is a big-ass payday for anybody, right? If I can't get George St. Pierre at 170, Nick Diaz is the next guy that's going to, quote-unquote, move that needle. So I, I get what Tyron is doing there. And, I, and you're right. I mean, yeah, let's take on a guy who hasn't competed in so long who's going to have rust, and my power can probably break him. So I could I could see that happening. But in a division like at 135 at Bantamweight where there isn't that much money to be made as a, as a, as in comparison to other divisions. But Dominic does something like this. Makes sense. It was also back in the day when Anderson Silva was calling out Michael Bisping. And this is when Anderson Silva, this is the pre-Chris Weidman Anderson Silva. Um, can we put him on our, our eight-man bracket? Or no? Okay. Um, no, because he <laughs> he'd, he'd win it. But um, we should put post-Chris Weidman Anderson Silva in this bracket. Um, oh, yeah. So I, when he called the Michael Bisping back in the day, I'm like, that, that, that's not a fight. That's not a good fight for you, Anderson Silva. Like, that's an easy, quote-unquote, easy fight. My whole times have changed. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think this line should be a bit further apart, to be honest with you. I think uh, Dominic should be a bit more of a favorite uh, in this fight, to be honest. But Cody does have that power, Sean. Let's be honest. He does. He does. And like you said, we have seen crazier things in this world. Like a ramen noodle cup walking around. Um, you need to put the word legendary. Ron, legendary before that sentence, please. Ronda Rousey, Amanda Nunes. Now, I, I will sound like a broken record because we do a billion shows a week on Fightful.com. Ronda Rousey slightly favored. 
here's the way I look at this, Joe. If Amanda Nunes fights this fight like she did against Shayna Baszler a couple years ago, fighting on the outside, kicking at the legs, probably a good night for Amanda Nunes. I think that if she gets in clinch range, she will not have nearly the success that Holly Holm did. No, I know Amanda Nunes has done a fair share of judo in her day. She's not half bad, actually. But Holly Holm prepared her entire career, her entire MMA career, to fight one woman. And that has been reflected in her last two fights. Amanda Nunes hasn't been doing that. Now, she's at a hell of a better camp. But to be honest, right now you're at a better camp uh, in your hotel room than Ronda Rousey's at right now. So, you training with that ramen noodle cup, Joe? If so, better camp. <laughs> here, here are my concerns with Ronda Rousey. You'll hear me talk about this on the, the show with Shane Helms on Friday as well, you guys. Tune into that one. We talk about the rules of pro wrestling. Ronda Rousey's strength is also her undoing, that judo. It's unbelievable. Clinch range, it's over. Just wrap it up, send it home. But she also boxes like she's a judo player. Her stance is just like a judo player's. And that benefits her with all that power. And I've said this before, wrestlers, you see that a lot. Guys like Tyron Woodley have that natural power, all that core strength, all that leg strength. But then when she gets hit, she doesn't go back to standing like a boxer. She keeps standing like a judo player, and that's not good. It's good if you're facing Betch Kohea, and she's an absolute errand boy when it comes to MMA, which Betch Kohea is incredibly overrated. But, hey, she got her fight, so whatever. Amanda Nunes ain't an errand boy, as I would say. She's real good, Joe. She's really good at this MMA stuff. I want to know uh, your assessment uh, and how you think the fight will go down. Uh, this is a conversation that's been held here uh, since I landed in Japan. Uh, oh, there isn't one person picking Ronda Rousey here. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it has to do... There, there's a lot of moments in mixed martial artists' careers that define them. And a lot of them, for me, are not what the average... Uh, consumer looks at and I looked at Amanda Nunes is basically her precision busting up Misha Tate's nose in that fight and realizing holy smokes you are fast your hands are pretty fast you got some precision and you are relentless and I just think if Ronda Rousey's nose gets tagged like that it's going to be an ugly evening what does she do at that point there uh, because this is the amount of pressure on Ronda Rousey right now because uh, you can make there's there's like that that the fine line between being able to handle the pressure which she can do because she's done it for so long as the face of women's MMA and breaking under that pressure which we've seen her do on a few different occasions most specifically at the the pre-fight press conference when they when they were nose to nose and she went backstage uh, and then what happened in the devastation the the emotional devastation of losing to Holly Holm uh, and and going into seclusion. There's a fine line there. She's basically walking a tightrope, and that tightrope is made of tooth floss. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Ronda Rousey here, and it's going to be interesting to see that if she does get in trouble in this fight, what ends up happening. 
no, there's no more beautiful story than for Ronda Rousey fans, than for Ronda Rousey to come out here and absolutely destroy uh, a man in Nunez and absolutely kill her and finish her off in less than a round and blah, 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 blah with her fabled armbar. Nothing would make them happier. Uh, but an interesting dichotomy would happen if Amanda Nunes puts an ass whooping on Ronda Rousey, and there's a damn good case that that can happen here. Um, you know, when these two tangle, so it's it's going to be an interesting fight. I'm, I'm going to lean towards Amanda in this fight. Uh, I think she's going to be able to pull this off. Worth noting, the number of times Amanda Nunes has been hit in her victories outside of the Shevchenko fight, which I will talk about in one second. Three, Misha Tate. Two, Sarah McMahon. One, Shayna Baszler. One, Jermaine Durandamy. Three, Sheila Gath. Three, Julia Budd. Now, Valentina Shevchenko, go ahead and put her in a kickboxing fight with Ronda Rousey. Tell me how that works out. Ronda Rousey ain't winning that. Uh, She's a different kind of striker. Now, Valentina Shevchenko was able to take Amanda Nunes down. Shevchenko is much smaller than Ronda Rousey. Uh, not nearly as experienced as a grappler. Ronda Rousey, and that went to the third round. Now, Ron, if Ronda Rousey fights like she did against Holly Holm, it might go two rounds, maybe one. If she fights like, well, you know, and a lot of Rousey's success were people running at her and her saying, yo, I meddled in judo, dumbass, and then sending them overhead and tapping them out. But, if Ronda Rousey can employ that clinch game, which is so, so, like, it's it's crazy because she gets her ass kicked once, and the ass kicking was so bad. And, yeah, I, I'm there's a dead horse over here that I will con- continue to massacre. Her coaching was so bad and is so bad that people almost let everything that happened before that fight go because they were like, okay, well, a blueprint has been drawn. But here's the thing. Edmund Tverdian didn't have a blueprint ready. I, I don't want to say he didn't have a blueprint ready because when Ronda Rousey started that fight, she was circling away from uh, the power leg of Holly Holm, but she got tagged and it all went out the window. But when she got tagged and it all went out the window, her coach said, beautiful, you're doing good, champ. That's not very good. Another element of the unknown. How will Ronda Rousey react? How will the media not, not having that media schedule affect her how will Amanda Nunes fight? Because she is a strong starter and not – she fades. She does fade. Ronda Rousey, we've seen a little bit of both. She can get stronger as the fight goes on, or she can get popped in the face repeatedly, and there goes that energy bar. Hell of a main event we have here, Joe. It's, it's a special, unique talent against uh, that, that it has crossed over. Uh, against a special, unique talent that is just ready to knock her off. I can't wait for this one. Yep. For the sake of mixed martial arts business, Ronda Rousey, win. For the sake of the mixed martial arts hardcore fans, Amanda, win. Uh, it, it's going to be – It's. I, I can't wait to see it. It's. it's I love the, – the proper – analogy to use when you're talking about any sort of main event or co-main event or mixed martial arts bout in general is the story and or the stories and the angles and this one has many of them and that's why this fight is so intriguing not just to people outside of our bubble sean but to guys like me and you and and to the hardcores and and the people that live and breathe this sport because there's so much at stake 
uh, in this fight here. There's so many answers uh, to the questions that we want uh, to have addressed. So, yeah, I, I can't wait for it to go down. And hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll be able to – Jesus, Sean, I, I, I've, I've, I've got to do some calculations here. Am I going to be awake for this thing? I, I don't know. I don't know what time it starts. Uh, I think what, it goes at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, no, 8 o'clock Eastern are the prelims. Or the 6.30 is the – the pay-per-view portion starts at 10 p.m. Eastern, so that would be noon Eastern, your time. Noon Eastern, my, I might be able to watch this thing. Hey. Yes! It'll be, hey. it'll be rise in commentary, take a break. UFC, take a break, rise in we, we We have a similar thing. Like We have an Australian girl who does a podcast with her on occasion – who does a podcast with us on occasion and she is able to wake up in the mornings and watch raw and SmackDown and then do our show. So, Hey, sometimes it works out. Joe, tell the people where they can follow you on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at showdown. Joe, love to hear your questions. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, we all know, uh, I will get ripped apart for my commentary because of my Canadian accent. It happens. Uh, for those that have followed me long enough, you realize I could give a rat's ass about what anyone says about my comments. I've been hearing, or my, my, my accent, I've been hearing about it downstairs, but these are my friends, my American friends who always say, uh, I've had a couple that uh, people know fairly well, uh, fighters and managers that came up to me and, and flat out said to me, Joe, do they know that Canadian isn't English and you're doing the English play-by-play for Ryzen? I said, that's not one I've ever heard before in my life. So that's, you're not going to affect me. And they're like, oh, nothing affects Joe anymore. I'm like, listen, this is my accent. I mean, if, if, if you were doing play-by-play, Sean, or someone from New Jersey or New York or someone from Louisiana or someone from Texas, you know, we all have accents. This is mine. Uh, this is the one that I speak with. And this is the one that you'll be hearing doing the English play-by-play for Ryzen. So for all of you people that plan on, hate on me, hating me uh, on, on social media, Thumbs up. I'll be watching. I'll be reading. I'll probably give you just a smiley face. But the bottom line is I am going to be calling two awesome events. And in between them, get to watch UFC and hopefully get to talk to my boy, Sean, and to, and to have all you people listening in and watching in and uh, having a good time with us. Guys, we have some big changes to Fightful in the new year. Those will be revealed very soon. Cool stuff coming. Register at Fightful.com. Get access to our forums, exclusive financial analysis, our Thursday Matt Riddle podcast, our Friday Shane Helms podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave us a thumbs up. Share the stuff. Share the, the, the viewing parties. Come hang out. Talk some trash. You're not smarter than me, but I'll let you feel kind of smart. Maybe I'll slip in and say something stupid. I don't know. But we're streaming Rising both nights. Joe, it was a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, sir. Guys, we're out.